This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I have not known what it is to to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment, though the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I'm going to do you guys a favor. I'm not letting you out early, but I'm going to do you guys a favor. I'm going to explain the Internet to you. So here it is. In about five minutes, you're going to get the Gordon Duncan explanation of how the Internet works. It, Charlie's already given me the no. And I can, give it, I can give it to you. I'm not talking about the algorithms or any of that undercoded stuff. I have no idea. That's all witchcraft. I have no idea how that stuff works. But All right, here it is. In, in one sentence, this is how the Internet works. The Internet wants to give you everything you want. That's the purpose of the internet. Let me explain. I'll give you two examples. I'll use social media, and then for any of you who are proudly not on social media, I'll just use general Google or something like that. Okay, 
Uh, I'll use Instagram first. For anyone over 35, I'll use Facebook in a minute. But in Instagram, the Instagram really has a couple of things going on. Horizontally, you have what's called stories, and that's basically the reality show of everybody's life. And then vertically, you have the feed, and that's like a photo album or a yearbook. So at the top, a story is someone giving you a moment-by-moment of their day. And since you follow them, you want to know what they're doing all day long. And then vertically, in in the uh, photo album, this is where the beautiful pictures happen, okay? So for example, let's say that you followed my boring day on Friday, right? So there's a picture of me walking into Starbucks at 539 because I had a meeting. And there's a picture of me sweaty because I went running. And then I had lunch. And then since we do band now at our household, uh, you saw a picture of the Cortland band warming up, and then there was a picture from the football game. And so basically, you got to watch how my life worked that day. Now, you can just let it scroll. You can just let it go. Or if you're impatient, you can tap it, like I've seen that little chapter already. Or you can just swipe it. I don't care at all. But all the people you follow, their stories, their reality show of their life is up here horizontally. But then you've got the feed, and that's where the beautiful pictures go. That's where you take like 25 photos at the golden hour to get the one perfect photo, right? And then you can put filters in there too if you really, really don't want to look like what you look like. I have a friend from high school, and their photo uses the white teeth filter. And it's like staring at the sun every time I look at their picture. I'm like, wow, that is some amazing white teeth. But that's not what your teeth look like. And this comes from a guy who could use a white filter, right? So I'm like, that's how it works. Now, The people you look at, the people up here story-wise, the people you give time to, the more time you pay attention to their story and you're following along or you send them a message, Instagram's going to give you more of that. More and more. The people you interact with, the people you spend time with, Instagram's like, yes, more of that. So the first couple of people are the people you like to watch. If you want to know what the TV ratings for Instagram are in your feed, it's whoever is at the top. And Instagram's like, you like them, let's get more of that. And on the feed, same thing. If you double tap or if you, if you make a little comment, they're going to be higher up in your feed. The people you don't care about in your follows, they're just way down here or Instagram's not going to give it to you because Instagram wants to give you what you want. And they do. That's the way it works. Now, Facebook's a little different. Facebook is like going to a dinner party. Facebook wants you to interact with people. So you kind of scroll around. You get to the party. You read people's articles. Maybe you say something. You hang around, read a few more articles, and then you leave. So you get things like politics. You get things like religion. You get things like health articles. You got a friend. You got a, a, a 90s group like, haha, we went to school in the 90s. I mean, all those kind of things, right? And, and Facebook loves it. Like, they want to give it to you. So the more you like, the more you comment on those things, the more you get. Because Facebook wants to give you what you want. Now you may say, Gordon, I'm not on social media, or I only have one of those stalker accounts so I can see what people are doing, but I never account. So let me talk about Google and things like that for a minute. Okay, so you, you go to Google or you go to whatever your, your happy search engine is, and you've got the articles that you like to go to. You go to them all the time, right? Maybe you try to be fair and balanced. You go to Fox News, you go to CNN. No one knows that you go to E! Entertainment because you got to see the dresses from the Emmy Awards, but you don't tell anybody. And you know what? Google goes, they like this stuff. So whenever you search, they push that stuff higher up and higher up. Let's say you're all caught up in this, uh, uh, this whole Ukrainian thing, right? Okay. In one side of you is like, this is a terrible scandal on this side, and the other, uh, in, or it's a terrible scandal on this side. Google knows what you're looking at, and they're going to feed more and more of it to you. They're like, oh, he or she likes this. 
So they curate what you want because they know that's what you want. And then ultimately, they're going to give you ads so that you can buy stuff according to what you want because the internet wants to give you what you want. It is your portal into happiness. That's what the function of all these things is. It's also your portal into spending a lot of money you shouldn't spend. It's also a portal into a bunch of terrible things. But the whole purpose of the internet is to give you what you want. Now, that is a perfect analogy for sin. I'm not telling you that the internet is sin, but (laughs) I'm not. But it's a perfect analogy because sin wants to give you what you want all the time, 24-7. In Romans 7, Paul describes sin almost like it's a person. It's personified. Personification is when you give something that's not a person human-like qualities, right? And so we've read this passage a couple times now. Sin sits right beside you and wants to give you what you want all the time, every moment of the day. So whether it's something outwardly or inwardly, if you want to be jealous of people, sin's going to be like, hey, let's do that. Let's go be jealous of people. And then you're going to find things to be jealous about. If you want to gossip, well, then the Internet's going to give you opportunities to gossip. It's going to give it to you, and it's going to even show you where to find it. You see, sin is that powerful. Not as powerful as Christ, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But we need to realize how powerful sin is. Because the whole purpose purpose? We're not the whole purpose of sin is to give you everything you want. Now, last week we looked at this big idea. The big idea of last week's passage was that sin is powerful. And we looked at these three points from Romans 7. And we briefly looked at a couple of them. The first one was this, that sin seizes opportunity. Secondly, sin produces death. And finally, sin is always close by. We spent a lot of time on that first one, tiny bit of time on the second one, and no time on the third. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a brief review of the first one, and then we're going to jump in a little bit more on the second and third one, okay? So let's look at sin sees as an opportunity. The point of these passages, I'm not going to read this all over again, you've heard them now almost twice, was this, is that residing in the human heart is sin. It's looking for an opportunity to sin. And when the scriptures come along and say, don't sin, sin springs to life. Like, you didn't know you wanted to covet, but as soon as the scriptures say don't covet, you're like, I think I'd like to covet now. Because what it's doing is it's showing you what is already there. When Amy was about to give birth to Emma, and I mean like within hours, we were in our house in Garner. We just built this house. Couldn't get the grass to grow for anything in the world. Had it sodded. It kept dying. And I was in the backyard on the phone with the doctor. Like, it's now. Like, now is the time. And they put me on hold, telling me what to do. So I'm standing there. Amy's not feeling well. And I'm standing in the backyard. And all of a sudden, my ankle and my leg are in amazing pain. Excruciating pain. Because I'm standing on top of a red anthill. And I didn't know it. And my ankle and my leg just has red ants just crawling up and down, stinging me like crazy. Now, at this point in time, I don't get to say, you know, maybe I'm going to go to the doctor. So I, I just swipe them all off the best I can, and we go to the doctor. And I'm in pain, but at no point in time do I get to go, hey, Amy, you know what? I'm in a lot of pain right now. This really hurts. Not at all. 
I'm a cheerleader, I'm a supporter, I'm a person to get yelled at. That's what I'm there for, right? But I'm in pain. Red streaks of infection are rising up my leg. Emma's born. Happy moments, hugs, kisses, cleaning. Grandparents come in. And finally, it comes to the point where I go, Ames, I think I'm going to step outside for a second. And I go out to the nurse, and I go, hey, what do you think about this? And they're like, you need to go to urgent care. And I said, I'm in a hospital why do I need to go to urgent care? And she said, listen, you're going to get quicker at the urgent care across the street. So I have to leave Amy, and then I get whatever. I think they gave me a shot, whatever they did, finally for all the infection. Now, that anthill had been in the backyard all along. It was just sitting there. I come along and destroy their house, and they attack me, right? What I did was discover that my backyard was a landmine of anthills. But it was sitting there the entire time. You, my friends, I, we have sin residing in our heart. We just do. We lust, we're jealous, we lack self-control, we love gossip, Listen, friends, I'm not trying to beat you up. It's the honesty. Christ can't be good if sin is not bad. And when the scriptures come along, all of a sudden, it's revealed. And we don't like it. It's not the scripture's fault. It was there all along. You might say, Gordon, well, then why would I read scripture if all it's doing is causing all the this, this sin to spring out? And I'm going to tell you, it's the only hope for our deceived hearts to know just how bad it is. But we've got to understand that sin seizes every opportunity that we can find to sin, that it can find. Do not take sin lightly ever. If you ever say, you know what, I think I'm in a really good time right now, don't say that. Don't ever let your guard down. That's the recap from last week. Let's jump in. Let's talk about the more fun topic. Sin produces death. That's where we are right now, okay? It gets more and more cheery. Verse 13, Paul says, did that which is good bring death to me? Did the scriptures bring death to me? No. No, they didn't. It was sin producing death to me through that which is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. What happens here is scriptures are not causing you to sin. It's showing you your sin, but sin brings death. And it's going to flourish beyond measure. Unchecked sin runs beyond measure. You've got to forgive the stories, but in this dour topic, I've got a few stories for us today. I grew up in my teen years on a tobacco farm. We had two dogs, we had four pygmy goats, we had a billy, another big uh, goat, and we had like 70-some chickens, okay? Now, my favorite dog was Smut. He's a big black lab, and we called him Smut because he was a big black dog, right? Smut had one goal in life, to kill chickens. That's what he wanted to do. Well, I'm sure just to run around and chase them, too. I'm sure that was just fun for him. But all of us, we would do everything we could to reinforce that fence. And all of a sudden, we knew what that sound was. Just massive chaos. Goats, chickens, and this dog having the time of his life. I had another dog. He was like, I'm out. But, no, but Smut, he was in. So we reinforced the fence. And we reinforced, we, 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 it was an electric fence, we jacked it up. We got a, finally what we had to do is we had to tack that fence 
every single measure we could along the way. There was literally no place he could get double the electricity to keep smut out. But he, man, he just walked along that fence. That's all he wanted in life. And I'm sure if he could have spoken, he'd be like, why have you taken all my fun away? And I was like, because I'm tired of throwing away dead chickens. This passage is telling you that sin sits there. And the goal of sin is to get in that chicken house. All sin wants to do is to run unchecked with nothing stopping it. Now, you guys are wonderfully civilized folks. We don't have chaos, anarchy. This is not Lord of the Flies hanging out here. Like, Gordon, it doesn't seem that bad. Be careful. Because the heart is full of sin and unchecked. It will run unchecked. Godly men and women will make decisions that seem outrageous if unchecked. Verse 14, for we know what the law is. It's spiritual, but I'm of the flesh sold under sin. The law is good, but this flesh wants what it wants. I don't understand my own actions, verse 15. I do, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Hey, friends, listen to me right now. Some of you are suffering under anxiety and shame because you don't want to do what you're doing. You know inwardly, I don't want to do this. But then you do it. And you hate yourself. You're crippled by shame. You either have your private place to suffer or your public place to to suffer. Paul understands, but he doesn't want to leave you there. Paul understands. Paul's like, I get it. I do what I don't want to do. But there is hope. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now. Did you guys realize that so now is your hope in this passage? So now. You do what you don't want to do. So now, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. How in the world does Paul get to make that transition? He's like, I'm not the one doing it anymore. It's sin. What's the so now Therefore, what changed? And what changed was Jesus Christ. Before you had faith in Jesus, before you had forgiveness from Jesus, your sin ran unchecked. There was no hope for you to obey, none whatsoever. You might try, you might try, you might try, but you wouldn't succeed. But now, so now, because Jesus has paid for your sin, so now, because Jesus has risen from the dead, you might obey. And in your moments of shame and guilt, you can say, it's no longer me, but it's sin. What that means is you can tell yourself, I'm a forgiven child of God. That's who I am. And I have sin still residing in my heart. But I am a forgiven child of God. Never let your identity go from, hey, this is my sin to, this is my sin, this is my sin. It must go from, this is my sin, I'm a forgiven child of God. Because otherwise, we will become overwhelmed and paralyzed with guilt and shame. 
Verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry out. Apart from Christ, you do not have the ability to obey. Apart from Jesus, you do not have the ability to obey. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Guys, if we're not trusting Christ, all we're trusting is our own effort. If we're not trusting Christ, all we're trying to do is work harder and harder. Let me share this quote with you. Earning your way, which is what we all like, by the way. Earning your way is consistent with the nature of sin. But it's contrary to the nature of grace. Because of our sin, we can't earn anything before God. But grace is God loving us like we have never sinned. Trying and trying and trying and trying and trying. That's consistent with sin. Grace, forgiveness, mercy. Grace, forgiveness, and mercy. That's consistent with the work of Jesus. Friends, you've got to know, sin is producing death. But Christ is producing life. Let's move on to our third note about the power of sin. Sin is always close by. Sin is always close by. So I find it to be a law that when I do right, evil lies close at hand. You want to do right. And sin consistently is sitting beside you. As a believer, you, it, you're thinking through it. You're like, I, I, I really want to obey this time. Some of you know yourselves well. Some of you know that Thursdays at 3.30, there's an opportunity for you to sin in some way. I don't know what it is. Some of you know that Friday nights when you get together with this person, there's a temptation for your speech not to be wholesome. Some of you know that Saturday nights is very easy to drink too much. Some of you know, whatever the case may be, you know when those opportunities are. And you want to obey. And you know that it's too easy to sin because sin is sitting there right beside you. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Paul is saying that, and I want you to be able to say that. Paul is saying that. Paul is saying, I love the scriptures. Inwardly, I love them. I want that to be true of evident grace. I want evident grace to say, what I love are the scriptures. We might be able to say it tacitly. We might be able to say, well, yeah, of course I love the scriptures. But I'd love for our actions to prove that we love the scriptures. I see in the members... Another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within me. Paul's like, I know that if I'm not careful, sin's going to take me captive yet again. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's wrestle with this for a moment, okay? I want to talk about sin always being close by. Because again, if I give you examples of, of murder, I mean, these girls, you're like, Gordon, that's just, that's just not my deal. It's not, I'm not really worried about that for me, right? So, let me give you an example of some subtle sins that I think we allow to just kind of flourish, that we allow to remain. Do you know the scriptures tell us that being unthankful is a sin? Like if you're not thankful, it's a sin. Why? Because Christ has supplied all needs according to his riches and glory, right? And 
Thankfulness starts at its simplest form. I gave you some internet, I'm going to give you some internet examples here. Do you know there's 785 million people in this world who don't have clean water? Twice the size of America. 785 people don't have clean water to drink. Rarely do I think thankfulness for water unless I'm just over, just overly thirsty. I mean, we're blessed to live where we are. Like we should just, everything we, every moment we take a drink, we should just be really thankful. But I could give you other examples. You've got your home, you have your family, you have your church, you have clothing. We have so many things to be thankful for. And if we don't take moments to be thankful for them, what does that mean? It means we're taking them for granted. I mean, just assume I should have these things. I should have these things. I'm me, I work hard, I live in America, I should have this stuff. But thankfulness is intended to draw our hearts to God. Self-control is one of the promised fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That means you, through spirit, the Spirit, should be a self-controlled person in every area. We brag about our lack of self-control. We really do. We, we, we make it personality quirks. It's our Enneagram or it's our IN. I don't even know all this. We, we, we just categorize it as like, I'm just not self-controlled in these areas. Have you ever said, oh, I've eaten way too much food? Have you ever said, like, yeah, I got a little loopy last night? Like, no, 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 no. Those are actually sins. I'm not trying to kill your fun. I'm trying to tell you that we're supposed to be self-controlled and sober-minded. But we kind of brag about it. Like, it's really okay to kind of get out of control. And I'm not even talking about organization or stuff like that. We keep, that's that's a, a, a seminar. Ephesians 5.4, Nor should there be uh, coarse joking which is out of place, but rather thanksgiving. There shouldn't be coarse joking which is out of place, but rather thanksgiving. I'll let you take a moment to examine your speech. Of course, joking's hard, because joking's funny. I mean, if it's funny, it's funny. And so and some of us have personalities like, well, making fun of people is really funny. I mean, we all, but the, con, the contrast of that in Ephesians 5.4 is thankfulness. Somehow making fun of other people means we're not thankful. Because we're typically feeling better about ourselves when we're making fun of others. These are just acceptable sins. But sin is close by, and sins are never isolated. Never are they isolated. Now, let me give you guys some hope as we move here, because I know you feel like I'm just beating you up and beating you up. But the Scriptures are intended to tell you hard truths. Never at any point in time do the Scriptures want to soften truths for us to make them more palatable. We should be people willing to speak these hard truths to one another. Our hope here is Paul recognizing, I am wretched. What hope do I have? What hope in the world is there for someone as sinful as I am? And he says that my hope is Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because I'm going to serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I'm going to serve the law of sin. Friends, Paul spends 18 verses telling us 
how aware we need to be of our sin. But it only takes one verse to tell us how powerful Jesus Christ is. And in your relationship with God, I would rather you spend more time on Jesus Christ than your sin, but you can't overlook your sin. We need to be people who talk about sin. We need to be in relationships that are willing to wrestle with each other's sin. Always holding up Jesus Christ, but always making sure that we're aware that sin produces death. It's always beside us. It seizes every opportunity. It's always close by. Uh, For any of our guests, we bring our service to a conclusion with a truth, an application, and an action. A truth is a uh, sort of a, a restatement or an answering of the big idea. An application is a way in which we can live, and an action is something we can do this week. And so these are a repeat from last week since we looked at these verses, uh, but since I assume we would probably do well to refresh ourselves, let's look at them again. Our big idea was this, that sin is powerful. It seizes every opportunity. It produces death. It's always close by. On this side of heaven, we are not going to escape the dangers of sin. Our truth is this. Our truth this week is Jesus rescues you from the sin that seizes every opportunity to draw you back from death. Sin is continually trying to draw you back into death, but Christ has rescued you. He's rescued you from your sin. He has rescued you from this moment, and he ultimately will rescue you with a hope and eternity in heaven. A hope that we have that sin will be gone. Your sins and the sin of everyone else. Let's figure out what it looks like to live in light of this. Let's do our application. I want you guys to live knowing this. Live knowing that you're not alone in your fight against sin. Let me stop there for a moment. You're not alone in your fight against sin. That means there's people here who are doing the same thing you are, wrestling with sin. That means that in that solidarity, in that togetherness we have in this fight against sin, there's compassion. Because we know what's going on. We know what it's like. There's forgiveness. I forgive you. There's also calls to repentance. There's compassion. I know where you're at. There's forgiveness. Please forgive me. But there's also calls to repentance. Like this is sin. It's knocking at your door and wants to eat you alive. You're not alone. Jesus has delivered you from sin's power. The scriptures teach you its ways. The Holy Spirit inspires you to obey, and your church encourages you in the battle. Whenever we wrestle with sin together, that wrestle is a battle. That's the language of scripture. So our sympathy, our compassion, and our call to repentance are in the midst of the battle against sin. Thankfully, we don't do it alone. Finally, here's our action. Trust Jesus. Read your scriptures. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Draw close to your church. Trust Jesus. Trust that he is powerful enough to rescue you from this sin. Trust that Jesus is powerful enough to change the way you're thinking. Trust that Jesus can help you. Read your scriptures the law are intended, excuse me, the law, the scriptures are intended to show you the sins you're not even aware of. Paul says, I delight in the law in my inner being. Let's pray that we're people who delight in what God is teaching us. You need the Holy Spirit for help. Our stories must be those that we can say, at least at some time recently, 
I was about to sin, but the Holy Spirit stopped me. I was about to sin, but the Holy Spirit stopped me. And draw close to your church. Remember, it's compassion, it's forgiveness, and it's call to repentance when you're part of a church. Battling and sin is all three. Friends, let's bow our heads. Let's pray that God would do this as we wrestle. Heavenly Father, the picture of sin is ugly and gross. Sin is more powerful than we give it credit, but Christ is more powerful than we could ever dream. Father, I pray that we would be those that trust Jesus and read our scriptures, ask the Holy Spirit for help, and draw close to one another. Thank you that we are not left alone in our battle against sin. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.